I'm jealous for you, says the Lord. <clears throat> I'm yours. Won't you be mine? I have created you for such a time as this, says the Lord. I see greatness in you because I put it there. And it's time for you to stop worrying and looking to the left and the right and, and stop worrying about yourself, but to become totally committed and commit yourself to me and see what I'll do, says the Lord. I actually have um, two words. I heard the Father say, I'm finna to line things up. He gonna line stuff up in your life. That miracle that you've been waiting on, he says, coming to pass. Yes, Not only that, these two words go together. He also said what you thought was dead, that business that you thought was dead, that fire in you that you thought was dead, he said he's going to breathe life into it. So he's going to breathe his breath into it, and it will come live once again. He's doing it for his glory to show the world that he's going to use you. If you're a co-laborer here and you have a word that the Lord's given you for the body tonight, we're going to ask you to come up. I really feel like the Lord is just releasing like a first love worship. Like it's not a worship that's just a, a feel good to get you out of something, but God is really bringing your heart back into alignment with his the way it's supposed to be right now. It's not about feeling good and just being sensitive. There's something in God unlocking whatever it is around your heart, to being fully possessed by him again. And that's tonight. And I was laying on the floor. First off, thank you. This is a house to get people back to their first love. Thank you. You, you know where I've been struggling, and thank you, because I just so connected with the heart of Jesus during worship. Thank you, Mac. I felt, this is the last thing, I was laying on the floor, and I saw this scene of like a, a grave man digging out graves. And I saw on the, the tombstones, it said cancer or murder or whatever kind of thing. And I just felt like the Lord was showing me that in worship, there were things, literally the same thing you said that had died. And I just saw this man opening up literally caskets with dead things, literally fully dead and bringing them back to life. And whatever it is, whether it was sickness that caused your heart to be sick to where you feel like you died and everything was just cut off, I just sensed the Lord releasing resurrection life into those places. So I just feel it, that same thing, that God is really releasing resurrection life right now. And so I just bless that for you guys. Whatever it is that you feel like is just where you feel dead, God is breathing on that place. As we were singing, holy, holy, holy are you, I feel like the Lord say, said that some of us may be wondering what is, you know, especially after the message, like, what does holiness look like for me? And he said, take your eyes off you and look at me. Ask for a glimpse of my holiness. And when you really see what my holiness is like, then you'll see the areas in your life that need to line up with me. Amen. I heard, um, my, my mercies are new every morning. Are yours... 
I heard the Lord kept asking me, why would you keep silent over and over again? And he said, why would you keep silent when there's so many um, truths, so many goodnesses of mine that people need to hear and you need to let out? And he gave me a picture of like a, a rushing river or flood. And he said, it's so much harder to stop that flood from flowing than it is to just let it overtake you. So I just felt the Lord saying, like, let my goodness overtake you to the point of overflowing to where whatever you breathe and whatever you say, you can dance it, sing it, talk it, walk it, whatever, that his goodness flows out of you. And you're an example of who Jesus is and what his nature is like to the people around you. Amen. I had a vision of two giant forts. One had the sign on the gate saying, false Christians, and they saw large, large battle tanks and a large army. They marched against the fort and began pounding on it until, and destroying it until only dust and ashes remained. But the second one had a sign that said, my sons and daughters. Then the army and tanks approached. Some of the people in the fort ran to their battle stations, but others didn't respond in any way. They just stayed where they were. Then when the battle got to its fiercest, they ran to their battle stations. But no matter how hard the enemy attacked the fort, it wouldn't fall. And I heard God say, those who are my people won't be overcome by the devil, no matter how hard he may try. But he won't succeed because you have me. I felt the Lord say that some of us have, have a checklist. These are the things I need to do to walk with God, and they're good things. And you do your two or three songs, and then you've got that checked off the list. And what I felt like God was saying is, my son, my daughter, what is available to you is to come to the point where you cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, where you join with the heavens he says, if you will do that, you will walk in my presence. Your powerlessness and, and emptiness will be over that day and each and every day. He says, there is an invitation to you. My door is open for you to come and come into my very presence, into my throne room and feel me, says your God. I heard God say that you want me to do things for you but you won't let me do things inside of you. Oh. <laughs> um, I saw a, a woman who was ready to give birth and everything was prepared, but she wouldn't push. She wouldn't, she just wouldn't do what she needed to do to bring forth this child. And um, the, it would die. The child would die. And then I just had a, a vision of these angels that were behind her that were just encouraging her and just holding her up as she's trying to give birth. And then there were all of the um, people, all kinds of people that were just encouraging her to, to do what she needed to do um, so that she could give birth. And the child was born. It doesn't matter how big or small you are as long as you're willing to give everything to God. The 
passage of scripture in Zechariah 3 was brought to my heart where there's a high priest, Yeshua, uh, or yet he's a, he was an actual high priest, not, it wasn't Jesus, but he came um, before the Lord and his, his clothes were like filthy rags. And the, the angel said to change him out and to give him new clean garments. And Zechariah said, and put a clean turban on his head. And I just felt like the Lord was saying that, you know, in our own self-effort and, um, you know, in, in our own toil, that that is filthy rags. But he, as we come before him, he will give us a new clean garment and a new turban on our head. While we, while the prophecies were being spoken, I heard the Lord say to me, let my overtones overtake you. And he showed me when we play chords on an instrument, if we just pick our hands up off of the instrument, the overtones stop. But if we just rest and we leave our hands on the instrument and we wait, the overtones start overtaking the room. And I feel like God is saying he wants to overtake the room with his overtones. All right. I encourage y'all to open your heart up to the word of the Lord tonight and put away your electronics unless you're using them to, as for the Bible or to take notes and show honor and respect to our pastor as he comes. Pastor Mac Ballard. The question is, will you still love me after I preach? I've been in a series on leaven, and I'm going to do my best to to uh, explain it where I'm at. I'm just going deeper in some stuff I started Sunday and we broke out in the Holy Ghost and like you're supposed to. And it's good to have you visitors. It's good to have y'all. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. I know our, le our leadership extends a great hand to y'all. Hallelujah. A lot of things uh, that we talk about sometimes when we talk about leaven and things like that, you really need to go to Israel to understand their perspective. Uh, I, when I was getting a master's degree, we, had, we went for a class. And, uh, and it was the greatest thing that I've ever been a part of. I had no idea what I was getting into. I, I had no idea when I left. Um, I was in Georgia at the time. I had no idea um, that when I went to Israel that my DNA was connected to the Holy Land by the blood of the Lamb. I had no, I had no idea. I didn't. But when we, in that bus we came in from Jordan. They strip searched several guys. Israel does not play at their borders. You, go, you don't laugh, you don't play, you say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and no ma'am. You've got 18 year old kids with automatic weapons and, and they want some. You know, they've been attacked so much, they're so small. But we got in and we drove in to the holy city. We started going up a hill and we came over this rise. There's 22 of us uh, on the bus. Dr. Cottle was leading us. Uh, Dr. Cottle is a language scholar. For you that don't know him, he reads and writes nine languages, including Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And uh, 
I wasn't prepared for what happened to me. We was with Richard and his wife and, and, and Rachel. Raise your hand, Rachel. Rachel's married now. She was three months old. And uh, we, when we topped that hill, the glistening of the, high sun, of the sun going down glistened off the Jerusalem stone and just almost blinded you. And it, was, it looked like we was going to heaven. And the anointing of the Holy Ghost fell in the bus, and everybody with one accord started crying out loud, just like we just saw our home for the first time, like we'd been wandering through forever. And we'd just been, we wasn't a part of really, but our DNA saw that. And when we walked the Via Dolorosa, and when we laid in the garden tomb where he had been, our DNA just reached out for that anointing that was still there. And the glory of God settled on us and we cried time and time again. We were not prepared for what we found. But it was glorious. It was glorious. And we learned a lot of stuff from the Jewish perspective. We're not Jews, we're Gentiles. We are. I am. I may have been a Gentile of Gentiles before I was saved. But I had no idea what I didn't know and what I was missing and why and, you know, where and when and all this stuff. I just know that when I read these scriptures and I've been to the place, I can see the place come back up in my mind. And I have reference in my soul. But most of all, I have reference in my DNA that I belonged there. I was going home. It was glorious, y'all. So I, I want to talk about leavened American style. I call this number three. And, and I'm going to start off kind of non-traditional. <laughs> I'm, I'm bad about that. We had a, a move of God Sunday night. It was glorious. And if you were here and God showed you some leaven in your life, I want you to tell me what it was, the G version. <laughs> Young Christians will do the R and the X version if you don't watch out. They don't know any better. So you have to qualify the G version. And, and you got to make... <laughs> I'm telling you, I've seen some wild stuff since I've been in the ministry. And uh, I've been shocked, but I'm trying not to be shocked anymore. I'm trying to. So if, if you want to come up and, and say, God showed me that I got delivered 11 or, or I, this is 11 that we're, that's unique to America, maybe. That America, and God showed it to me. I'm not necessarily in it, but I see it in America. I want you to come on right now, quickly. If you don't want to come, I'm fine. But you work with me, it'll be a lot better tonight. Uh, God showed me not to let the busyness of my job and other things take me away from his spirit, his word, his calling. Business is truly living in America, and that's a unique, that's a unique thing to our culture. Um, God showed me I was spending too much time uh, stressing about things that I couldn't change. And also spending too much time um, 
uh, bringing things home with me and not leaving them where they're supposed to be. That's another unique thing to our culture. People bringing things home from their job. It's unique. Uh, Australians, they leave their stuff at work. They don't care. Uh, if I was bored or anxious or sad or tired, my instinct was to go to my phone, Facebook, or chocolate, because I love chocolate, or sweets, and God's, I'm in a period of consecration right now just to get my flesh out of <laughs> being used to that. So the leaven of, of physical things rather than getting in the Holy Ghost. Boy, I fight that one. The leaven of self-reliance instead of relying on God. Oh, come on. He said the leaven of self-reliance. Boy, do we have a dose of that in America? Yeah. God's been dealing with me about using being tired as an excuse to not get in his presence in the morning. Like, I don't want to get up an extra 20 minutes early, but it, he's worth it. Come on. That's good stuff. He's an assistant DA, so he has a rough job. Um, God has showed me that that I spend too much time on the material things of this world and that um, instead of turning to him whenever I am in need or in trouble or just kind of don't know what to do, I would turn to like the Xbox or Facebook or some video games or something. And I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go spend time in his presence like I was supposed to. So, Tell him how old you are. 15. 15 years old. He knows more now than I did when I was 35. Do you understand that? That's what our job is as this generation, to make sure our kids are not tripped up like we were. He showed me that I was compromising my convictions in some areas depending on, because some of my friends were around and they wanted to talk about stuff that I knew I shouldn't have, but I compromised my convictions. I let it go without saying anything. And he rebuked me, and he showed me that I was being a, a thermometer when I was supposed to be a thermostat. So. You were being a thermometer when you were supposed to be a thermostat. You were supposed to set the temperature. Come on, boy. Uh, I wasn't here, but I was listening uh, in with my kids at home. And um, one thing that God showed me was that it's so easy for me to, um, like, when I choose leaven of this world of, of pleasure of this world or Facebook or this or that instead of going to his presence. It's so easy for me to then turn around and continue to partner with the enemy in bitterness towards myself. And Come it's on. a cycle instead of just giving it to the Lord and accepting that, that I am. That is a good new. word. That's a, that's a really, that's a good word. What God showed me was that he doesn't want me to look around, look around at where I'm at, like spiritually, and give up too soon for what he has for me. Come on. He really convicted me of my heart um, of trying to fill myself with other things for comfort when I was hurting, when I was trying to deal with emotions and just wanting to watch movies and listen to music that wasn't necessarily bad, but it wasn't worship music, and that's something that the Lord has convicted me of. He just wants me to feed on his presence. Come on. The leaven of the world. Lord showed me that I was... Uh, I thought I was problem solving, but I was worrying. And 
He said, it's a false refuge. It won't solve anything. You should immediately come into my presence and intercede and ask me diligently, and I will take care of it for you. Give up your false refuge. That is a good word. The leaven of false refuge. Like only a doctor can say it. Um, God showed me where I wasn't uh, taking refuge in him and resting in him, and I was being anxious and not waiting for him to, to lead me, but I was being driven um, and bringing back to a place where I'm submitted and he's ordering my steps. So you're going to flush all that down the commode? Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, on Sunday, I, I said he's, that my He's leaven, a plumber, is the reason I said that. That my leaven was idolatry, and I was sitting there just now, and I feel like the Lord is telling me that I, I need to confess my faults to you guys, and my idolatry were my grandchildren, and you all know that they moved, and um, I have decided that I'm finding my joy in him and not in them, so. Come on. There's nothing that satisfies like Jesus. Just, it's just not. As, as good as grandkids are, as much as you love them, and as much as you love your family, and there's just nobody that satisfies like Jesus. You can't feel, they can't feel the hole that's there in the soul, you know. So I'm talking about leavened American style, number three. If you'll put your finger in 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 5, this is a continuation of something I really got into deep Sunday night, Sunday evening. And, and so I want to look at leaven again from last week, and we learned that the Greek for leaven is the word zume, zume, Z-U-M-E, and it means to ferment as if by boiling or heat induced, a catalyst being the heat. That's what leaven means. And the root is turning up the heat. It's using heat uh, to change the form. Wow. Using heat to change the form. You get born again, you're on fire, the glory of God's on you, God's using you, you're winning your, peop your people to Jesus that you used to run with, and all of a sudden the heat comes to stop you from being in the form that you're in. Do you understand? It's important to understand that. Because we're not ignorant of the wiles of the devil. Am, am I right? One of the things I've seen happen before in church, uh, at, at the first one we started in, in Opelika and now is it in Auburn, is the carnal children are, seem to always be the coolest and the prettiest and the biggest and the loudest. And they always target the other kids that want to be on fire for God. They do it. They say, you mean your parents won't let you date? They try to incite heat in the child against their parents because they're not getting to raise all the cane that they're getting to do as, as carnal children. And, and they, turn it, they turn this heat up, and, and all of a sudden these kids try to resist, and they get ostracized by the cool, pretty, smart ones in their group. And the heat's turned up to change your form from holiness to carnal. 
from sacredness to sacrilegiousness because they were real sacrilegious. They were when I was a child. They were always sacrilegious. I, I was one of them. I made fun of you Christians. From a leader to following a pathetic, line-loving, worldly backslider. And that doesn't make any sense for people who should know better. It, it don't, y'all. It's like putting a teaspoon of poison in your Miss Story's Dairy Bar homemade milkshake. It, that's what it's like. None of you folks that have ever been to Miss Story's Dairy Bar in Opelika, Alabama would ever put poison in a strawberry, pineapple, there's 30-something flavors, homemade milkshake from Miss Story's Dairy Bar. You wouldn't do it. But that's what's happening when the enemy turns up the heat on your children, on you, to cause you to feel ostracized and, and, and to let that cause you to change your form for somebody else instead of listening to God, instead of keeping what you're doing on fire for God, pressing forward for God. And that's what I'm talking about leaven. That's what leaven is. Um, I want to, this is a, let's, let's define a line lover, okay? You know what a line lover is, pastors? For everyone new tonight, a line lover is someone who loves the fringe of the church. They're fringe people. And they're always near the line of what is questionable behavior fit for Christians wanting to grow. They will usually take the side of someone who is against the vision of God or what is biblical. That's what I did when I went to church and I was a youth. I wasn't saved, of course. I was there for something else. I rank another definition which is more complete. A line lover is a Christian who is leavened or carnal and proves it by always wanting to get as close to the world system in their behavior and fashion as they can while still trying to camp around the sacredness and anointing of God. They read and listen to pure anti-Christian manure and receive it like it's fact many times and many times if you don't watch out you'll allow this relationship with them to go unchallenged in the name of love maybe because you're beat down by their humanistic arguments maybe they're loud and they're convincing and they're smart, and they're pretty, and they're the big football player or kung fu master. But the truth is, you don't love them if you won't withstand their leaven and carnality. You're going to send them to hell. I about decided I'm about to start witnessing to fringe people like they're lost. But you can't be sure. When I got born again... I, God changed to me. I woke up and I was different. It wasn't about me anymore. Is that just me or is that somebody else? What I find about line lovers is they're the best con artist in the church. I was a detective a long time. I was a cop for a long time. And I've arrested as many church people as you can probably imagine. 
I call them church people. They're not Christians. Be out there, blow a 24 on a, on a breathalyzer with somebody else's wife and telling me they're a deacon in so-and-so church. And the devil made sure I saw it. And I became more and more skeptical. I didn't know if you could be a Christian. I, I didn't know at one time. I, I thought I might be agnostic at least. I thought there might be a God, but I thought the only one that ever got to God was my granny. Because my granny was a holy woman. She was a whole different form of Christian than I saw out there. Huh? But one night, Jesus arrested me and the Holy Ghost handcuffed me. And I knew that Jesus was real. Every time I tried to say I'm agnostic, the Holy Spirit would take me back to who my grandmama was and what she was and what she did and how she lived and how anointed she was and how I'd walk in the projects in her house and she'd be laying in a two-hour-old puddle of tears praying for my salvation on the cement. An old woman, weighed 250 pounds, little Indian woman, and she loved me, and she got the blood out of my nose, and she got the stripes off my back. My mama was full of demons, and she would protect me when I would come, and, and I would have choke marks, and I'd have to go to the hospital and lie, and so mama didn't go to jail, and and Granny would minister to me and try to insert something. See, the one that loved me was planning something else, a leaven of bitterness. And Granny loved me more and tried to extract that leaven of bitterness. She saw it. I understand the root of bitterness and the leaven that it brings and, and what it does to your your sight. So it's time to stand up, Scott, and resist these line lovers, these con artistry of these line lovers, drawing people away and really press into Jesus like we, we've never done before. We don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be churchianity. We want to be Christ followers. I want to be Christianity. I've been in churchianity when I was a kid. I'm telling you, if I, I got some stories that freak you out, but I'm not going to tell those here. All right, let's look at our two scriptures again. First, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5, 6. What's going on there? What's the context? 1 Corinthians 5. There is a leader in the Corinthian church he is having an affair with his daddy's wife. The Bible says that it's a sin that shocks the Gentiles. <laughs> you know it's bad when it shocks the Gentiles. Am I right? <laughs> and it says that the people around this leader, I'll tell you how I can prove it's a leader later on, are glorying in the fact that it's going on and grace covers it maybe or, or nobody's going to do anything about it. But the Apostle Paul got wind of it. And so he wrote him a little nice little letter. <laughs> and here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. 
He said, your glorying is not good. <laughs> glorying in here in the Greek means boasting or rejoicing. They were boasting in a, in a full gospel church. They were boasting and rejoicing in perverse adultery. It wasn't just adultery, Jack. It was perverse adultery. You, you, you hear the depth of leaven that had gone? It was a big leaven. It was huge leaven. And this glorying or boasting or rejoicing can be a good or bad sense. It's two sides of the coin on that Greek word. But here it's not virtuous. <laughs> it's not virtuous and definitely not good. He said, do you know that a little, that word little is the Greek mikros or mikros. It's where we get micro. He said, do you not know that a microscopic bit of leaven leaveneth the whole lump. It don't take this big perverse adultery to do it. You're in a mess when you get there and you think it's all right. A little bit. Mikros. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the context here is overt, in God's face, sin in church leadership. And the Gentiles are shocked at it. It's so bad. A leader in the church in perverse adultery. And they're glorying and rejoicing over it. I, I can't even imagine that. That's about as evil... As I can imagine. This is big leaven, but Paul writes that even this little micro poison or micro cancer is dangerous because it is something you don't see at first. You, you hear the difference between a huge, huge leaven and a micros? The micros is more dangerous because you don't see it at first. It was obvious what this old boy was doing in church. With that woman. But the micros is something you don't see at first to it spreads. Cancer, you don't see it at first until you get a frozen section or whatever and you send it to the pathologist here and they go, oh my goodness. And they rate it how aggressive and all this stuff is. And something you didn't know you had, you have. Reminds you of bitterness, doesn't it? Or offense, doesn't it? Me cross, okay? Oh, it'll kill you. Woo, son. Because it's something you don't see at first. I want to remind you of Solomon 2.15. The little foxes spoil the vines. The little foxes spoil the vines. In other words, they were, they were great vines, had a lot of grapes on them, doing well, Got expected a big yield, going to pay the car off, and bam, the little foxes get in there, and it spreads like cancer, and it's gone. And everything you did is gone. Amen. All right, I believe this is an elder in the church in this abominable, perverse adultery. Why? 
Would Paul go against the word? Why? He was an apostle of God, full of the Holy Ghost, submitted to Jesus. So he would never go against the word, would he? So this is why I know it was an elder in the Corinthian church. Because the apostle Paul goes by the word and rebukes him publicly as an elder. You don't rebuke sheep, young sheep, publicly unless they're killing their wolves and they're not sheep then, right? 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Verse 20, those who are sinning, who have an ongoing sin that they're glorying in, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. That was an elder in that church because Paul rebuked him publicly. It wasn't just for our information and our growth. Paul was practical in what he wrote too. He had reasons. Remember when Demas was with him? He said, call Demas a co-laborer and then you see in the next scripture and Demas are with me, and then down the line you see, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. See, was, Paul was showing you Demas was backing up. He was getting tired of being a missionary under Paul because Paul was crazy. Paul had a death wish. He wanted to be a martyr. And if you were hooked up with Paul, there's a good chance he was going to be a martyr. And Demas rethought himself. <laughs> You ever got into something before and you go, oh my God, this guy's crazy. I was in India with a crazy man. In northern India where they hate Christians, where there's no Christian influence in a city of a million and a half with a crazy man and they tried to kill us three times we had to run for our lives. He'd just go bust up right in the middle of them. So I know what it feels like. <laughs> I had no pistol. No knife, no nothing to protect myself with. You know, I mean, it's tough. But, so we know it was an elder. Okay, now we know that he was talking about overt sin. I'm talking about daily sin, things, lies. You know, in that, in that context, he's talking about regular sin all the way up to heinous, perverse sin in that context. 1 Corinthians 5, okay? Okay? All right. So you, you look at Galatians 5, 9 where he talks about leaven again. And the context is something different. It's not just your everyday sin that's easy to shake. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. It's another gospel. You understand another gospel is the spirit of Antichrist. It's the demon who's against the anointed one. That's transliteration. Okay? So, in Galatians 5, 9, he's talking about receiving the grace of God which empowers us to overcome sin and not trying to do it as unto the law and works. That's what he's talking about. And he gets into it in verse 9. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that context here is another gospel. The law presented as man-made legalism. Did you hear that? I didn't say the law 
the law of man made legalism. Jesus kept the law. Well, blasphemy. He was, oh, Jesus never killed anybody. Thou shalt not kill. He didn't ever get after somebody else's wife. Everybody says, well, the law's gone. You don't have to keep the law. You go out and shoot somebody, I'll have you arrested. You're going to go to prison for life if we don't French fry you in the state of Alabama. The state of Alabama has drive-through killings for people that murder people. They have a drive I'm kidding, you know. But they not, they, you, you know, you can say I'm not under the law, but you go out and break one of those ten, baby. If you break it with some Billy Bob's wife, he's going to shoot you. And what's sad about the Ten Commandments is most people only keep the commandments that they don't go to jail for. They'll miss church. They'll violate the Fourth Commandment. And the Bible says when you violated one, you violated them all. So there's 11 that says the law of God is defunct. No, we, we got one sacrifice. But there are ethical rules that trans late, old and new, then and now. That's easy. Jesus kept it. Paul kept it. Not as a law of men. See, these Pharisees made up something to control people and used the ten and all these other rules to control people and to keep power. You, you understand that? And that's what Galatians was about about man, man perverting the law of God, the original, and negating the grace of God, the next covenant. And that's what was happening here. And, and Paul, the same author of 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians 5, talks about the law presented as man-made legalism. And Jesus fulfills the law, but still keeps all the commandments himself. So it was man-made interpretation to control people. That is the leaven. I, I believe that. This goes with what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. Remember what he said? Now, charismatics take this out of context and quote it all the time. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus, the next Adam, okay? I've come that, that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And see, Jesus is talking about two different systems trying to get to God. He, he talks about trying to crawl up another way. This, this is talking about another gospel. That's the context of John 10.10. 10, and people take it out of context all the time. Okay, you get it? He's responding to the Pharisees from John 9.40. In his response to the Pharisees' question, the Pharisees ask him, Are we blind also? <laughs> if Jesus had been Billy Bob Jesus, he'd say, you, you, you better believe it, boy. You know, they ask, are we blind also? In his response to the Pharisees' questions, are we blind also? Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, 
he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, and he explains later in the context that he's the door. In other words, your religion's not going to make it here, boys. There's got to be a relationship. Keep that thought. Amen. And, 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 but climbs up another way, the same as a thief and a robber. If you seek to get to God or get people to come to God based on your interpretation and manipulation of the law into another gospel, you are a thief and a robber and you're no different than the Pharisees. Okay? Another system. He's talking about another system. Just like Galatians 5. Okay? All right, let, 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 me, let me finish this. John 10, 1, another way is a man-made legal system. Remember, he's talking to religious Pharisees. who They believe in the resurrection. You know these Pharisees believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. But he's talking to people that believe in the resurrection. You know what their stumbling block is? They cannot wrap their minds around relationship with Messiah Jesus. So there's your stumbling block. So they purport their version, I said their version of the law, not the law. It's their version of the law. They purport their version of the law another way. And in John 10.10, Jesus says, The enemy comes in cloaked or wrapped in another way to kill, steal, and destroy. And it's another way. It's religiosity. It's a perversion of the law of God that don't have anything to do with grace empowering you to walk holy with God. Isn't that good? I had to do the quick version. Or we'd be here to one in the morning. <laughs> and I don't mind. Because I ain't going to fall out the window like Eutychus did. <laughs> I was up at, this morning at six something before daylight running. And uh, uh, it got daylight real quick, thank God. But uh, I thought I was going to take a nap. But I was so jacked up about y'all coming, I couldn't sleep. <laughs> it's nice to... Y'all, that you know, to get together, you know. So, an example would be putting pressure on Gentile Christians to keep the feast, to wear prayer shawls, or in our scripture here, doing man-conceived or perceived good works for salvation, like circumcision, instead of doing good works because of salvation. There's a difference. You're not doing good works for salvation. You must be born again. Jesus had to go to the cross. His blood hit the mercy seat. And if you accept Jesus, it's not just accepting. If God draws you, according to John 6, 44, he draws you or drags you off in a timing, a kairos timing, and pulls you. And it takes the picture of a caveman dragging a new wife off. And you, don't, and you yield to him 
you can be born again in His timing. And at that moment, Jesus comes in and fills a Jesus-shaped hole that you've been trying to put everything else in for years. That's what I did. Amen? All right. But we have been discussing the fruit of the original micros, the microscopic fruit of leaven in our scriptures in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and Galatians 5, 9. But let's just look, let's carry it a step further because Jesus, and the Lord teaches that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is active in us, right? Am I right? It's act, it, it activates without faith. Let's, let's, let's look at it from a pure New Testament perspective where you're born again and, and God's deposited that measure of faith in all of us. Right? Am, am I right? And it may be the size of the grain of a mustard seed. But let's look at the sins of doubt and fear. What do you think stops the church from being the church more than anything other than doubt and fear? Doubt and fear, unbelief, is an assault on the integrity of the divinity of God. Do you hear me? Jesus is the written down word of the living God. When we have a leaven in us that negates the, the, to believe and receive and let the word conceive in us, it is an infringement on the holiness of God. It says God's not big enough. He's not good enough. He didn't do enough. And it is the leaven that makes the church impotent. And negates the very mission of God for so-so, salvation, deliverance, setting people free, casting out devils, healing people. It, 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 it pulls it away. We can't do anything but have programs that pervert and replace the power of the living God. These sins of fruit are something you can see because of something you don't see living. See, this doubt and fear is fruit. It's bad fruit. And it's something you can see because of something you don't see in you. That leaven. Because the Bible says the leaven, no matter how little it is, mikros will leaven the whole lump. And the next thing you know, the devil will talk you out of what the Word of God says, and he'll use the Greek mindset or the intellectual non-relational mindset, and he'll negate the Hebrew relational model to do it. I watched it my whole life. 
The powerless church has been talked out of most of the Bible. But in all the other parts of the world, the power of God is falling every time they get together. Now why is that? It's because most, most of us think like Greeks and not like Hebrews. Me included. And I believe if we walk in this doubt and fear, we have the leaven of judging God unfaithful, which is unbelief. Unbelief is nothing more than judging God unfaithful. I'm going to let that... I'm going to let you meditate on that just a minute. You better believe it's heavy, but God's been tearing me up for about three weeks. He's been wearing me out. I'm sitting. Just, I'm just a delivery boy, and I'm trying to do the best I can to get it to you like he gave it to me. It's a, a, such a prophetic word. I wrote this down. Unbelief is a terrible insult to the reality of God's integrity. Is that right or wrong? I think that's right. And I believe that unbelief could be the root or the leaven of most sin. All sin, maybe. I believe... I believe that leaven is the direct opposite of faith. A lot of people would say it's doubt or unbelief or fear. And all of that would be true, but you're talking about fruit. I want to get to the root. I've seen people repent of the fruit long enough and not repent of the root. And it grows right back up on you and the fruit comes right back. You cannot repent of the fruit and not repent of the root. I'll let you meditate on that one too. I believe offense and bitterness also could flow out of the judgment we have made against God that He will not protect us So we have to take action against others who hurt us. Thus we become offended or bitter. Unbelief is the root of that or leaven. The fruit is we are offended. We're saying God cannot protect us. He's not big enough. He's not good enough. He's not anointed enough. He's not super bad enough. He's not even tough as Chuck Norris. I've also come to the opinion that the leaven of unbelief is the opposite of faith, like I said. And and, and I want to prove it to you by looking at the origins of both. Y'all ready for this? Look at the origins of leaven, in which I would say the leaven of unbelief or the leaven of bitterness because they're both roots. I believe those two are the bitterness is a springboard to backslide. Ain't it? No matter what you justify. 
I have to out myself. I was a young pastor in Milledgeville, Georgia. We had broke out in glory, and the devil sent some Jezebels. And I got so tired of them nitpicking me that I kept hearing the music. Everybody was kung fu fighting. I wanted to jack somebody up. I wanted to go old time police with a mag light. You know, like old police, you ain't from around here, are you, boy? <laughs> that wasn't the kind of police I was. I was a professional. I went to school. Went to CSI school. You know, the whole real deal. <laughs> but, but, boy, when people are nitpicking you, it hurts, don't it? Because you're doing, I mean, you're getting in the prayer closet on the floor. I mean, boogers coming out crying and, you know, doing the whole thing, crying out to God, trying to change your life. And you get up there and you're full of zeal and full of, uh, you know, uh, faith and power. You're thinking these Jezebels start nitpicking. You feel like you're full of paste and flour. You know, you, it just takes the air out of you. And, and you want to justify your bitterness and offense. But what it is is an attempt by the devil to cause you as a minister to backslide and, and to get other Christians to disavow what you've always preached. You preach that you can make it through anything. You can walk by faith and not by sight, and then you get tested in it. And I got tested by 14 Jezebels. Not 13, ladies and gentlemen, but 14. 14. Richard saw it. It was every week. Oh, they wrote letters. And 14 things I don't like about Pastor Ballard. 19 things that he could do better. I was a new pastor. Yeah. Okay. You got to let somebody grow, you know. You got to. You got to. Amen. But, boy, I got offended. And it almost got to be bitterness. But I, I, my pastor, that's the key to having, having accountability. My pastor helped me stand and fight it off. Saved my life. And my wife. One more. <laughs> me and Kathy left the house, and we lived about 15 minutes in the church. And we, the church was in the hood. We had drive-by shootings during the service. You, you'd be, I'd be up preaching it. Bow, 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 bow. Next, next, the guy next door was a, a drug pusher, and he would do something wrong, and they'd come by and shoot his house up. So that morning, Kathy and I had a rough time getting out of the house. I hate being late. And we were fussing a little bit. That's why I hate morning church. That's why I like night church. You can relax the whole day and get your head together and pray through and have your, you can have your quiet time with Jesus. Brush your thinking breath and all that. And so we're fussing and I looked at Kathy in only the way I can look. She says, some way or another, my eyebrow gets all the way down to the bridge of my nose. 
We've been married 45 years, visitors, so she knows me. <laughs> Almost 46. And I said, I'm going home. I'm tired of this junk. I'm tired of Jezebel's. This ain't worth it. I, I, I thought I was going to wind up doing something to somebody. I know how to choke people out. Back then, especially, I was young. I'm old now. I can't do anything but shoot now. I can't run. I can't fight. Still work at the sheriff's department. <laughs> you know. But I'm a chaplain. I'm not supposed to do that. I just wanted to go home to somebody that told me I was all right. Do you know what I'm talking about? I just wanted friendly. I, I just wanted somebody to tell me they loved me and I was doing okay. And y'all, I was going straight down Highway 49 toward Macon, Georgia. <laughs> do not pass, go and do not collect $200. I was getting it. And Kathy switched over on me. She got in the Holy Ghost. She said, she said, Mac, if you do this, everything you preached is going to be a lie to them. It didn't, it didn't take but that one either. She didn't, she didn't. Gabriel, shut up. It didn't take but that one thing, and she looked at me with them big old deer eyes, you know, them same eyes that got me when I was 18. And she said, yeah, you did. You were sweet. You can't do this. I said, I just want to go home to Pastor Hand. He'll protect me from these devils. She said, I know, but we got to go, and you got to do what you call to do. And she made sure she got me before the last turnoff to Allen Memorial Drive going across into the hood. And she had me, buddy. I was like putty, <laughs> like I was when I first met her. We'd been married a long time by then. I, I was 38. And, and 20 years, we've been married over 20 years. So we've been married a while. And I turned left on Allen Memorial Drive, and I, I, I went to, I was going down the street, and we was kind of giggling and talking about it. And we'd go by this service station that, where this crazy guy always sings James Brown and never says anything else. <laughs> Millersville is a trip, Jack. You go in the station. I had to get off on this, but it's funny. I go in for gas. Never been there before, and James and Davy took me and didn't tell me what I was going in on. And I go in, to, and you expect to walk in the store, and, hey, welcome to so-and-so store, glad to have you in here. I walk in the door. He said, good God, what do people say? How? And James and Davy was looking at me, grinning. It was, it was wild. We go by that station, and I think about that and giggle, you know. I think about the time Lynn Thomas went in there, and her granddaughter, she thought she was putting chapstick on her lips, but she was putting lipstick. 
And she walked in there, and she, she didn't know it, but she looked like the Joker. <laughs> An associate pastor. And even the crazies looked at her like she was crazy. <laughs> so we go on in, and I'm, I'm settled down before I get there. I'm about three minutes late, so I find myself $50 for being late. And I let them take $50 worth of my pay away because I feel like a, a man of God is supposed to be on time. I held myself accountable so I wouldn't be late because I believe it's, a, it's an assault on integrity to be late. I'll get off that. But I know I'm talking to somebody. And being prophetic, I, th I think I know who it is. I'm not looking neither. Nor am I calling names. Oh, we're going to have some fun. All right, let's look at the origins of leaven and faith. He says, your glory is not good in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Remember, that little is mikros, and it becomes a huge, overcoming, all-encompassing control against the Word of God. Okay? And can you see that? You're seeing that in your head, all right? All right, now let's look. Let's look at faith. This is why I believe leaven is the opposite of faith as a root. Faith that is a mountain-moving, healing, saving, delivering power of God starts here. Matthew 17, 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief... Now what was he talking about? Y'all know the context? You want me to tell you the context? Uh... Jesus and him had just come from the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? And so they come down and they meet up with, with the disciples and this guy that they couldn't do anything with his son's demons. He had a deaf and dumb spirit. Had a deaf and dumb spirit. Right? And later on he told them this doesn't come out by, but by prayer and fasting. But he rebuked them for their lack of faith in front of the people. Right? Okay? All right. So, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, semicolon, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, mikros, it's little faith, mikros for leaven, and mustard seed's the tiniest seed there can be, but it makes this huge, wonderful, glorious tree that protects the birds and will protect you from things. So here you got, both of them have their origin in something very small. And they grow into something overwhelmingly great. Think about that. If you have the faith as a mustard seed, a tiny bit, a little bitty, bitty bit, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. 
Mustard seed faith is all you need to combat this little micro leaven of unbelief. Mountain moving mustard seed faith is our anecdote for the affliction of leaven. And it didn't say you had to have an S on your robe or S on your chest. He gave us every one a measure of faith. Now, I don't know what a measure is. But all he said, the anecdote for this leaven is a tiny little bit. No matter how big the leaven's got. That's how big faith is. You can take a tiny bit of faith and you can take care of leaven that's gotten out of whack and just got all in the body and gotten so huge that you can't see Jesus. That's how big faith is and how great God is. But you can't walk in your unbelief and doubt and fear and think that you're not spitting in the face of a holy God. It's an assault on his integrity. And that's the leaven that's come back to the full gospel church, the Pentecostal church. Back when I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, in 1981, I was a policeman. All I heard was these charismatics. They talked about, I knew these insurance men and said that they had been to this big insurance conference. And the, they, they, the speakers at the conference said the best people to write insurance on was these spirit-filled Christians that walked, talked about faith. That's what they told me. And I started reading about faith after that. I was a Baptist kid that just got the Holy Ghost, didn't know what I was going to do, didn't know anything about faith, and I read uh, Concerning Spiritual Gifts by Kenneth Hagin in a book on faith. After, they talked, the best risk in the insurance business, according to these people, were people that walked by faith and not by sight. And then I heard some insurance guys, I know some guys, that talked about the church had been knocked off its perch as being a great risk just a few years ago. Why? Because we give more heed to the mikros of leaven than we do the mustard seed of faith. And we, we've got to look at that as 11, and we've got to deal with that daily sometimes. I know people who fight all kind of fear issues, fear of the weather, fear of heights, fear of this, fear of finances. I mean, I know people who've got money, and it's never enough. And they, they choke a dollar bill till, till George Washington's wig falls off. And got all kind of toys and junk out in the yard and nice house and, and still scared that God's not going to do anything for them. Th- that is an insinuation that our God hadn't done everything he needed to do for you. 
to be an overcomer. That's what it is. And I, I believe that we've got to get a hold to this leaven thing and take it by the throat. And we've got to look at a root of bitterness real close. Because that's the key to backsliding. And we've got to look at a root of leaven. And we've got to not only repent for the fruit on the tree, but we've got to dig up the root and kill it and repent for it too. So it don't grow back. And we can't swap sins. I've seen a lot of drug addicts. I got delivered of drugs. I've been delivered for three years and... And uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing alcohol. See, those two things are not accepted in the church. But they'll be out in front of the church chain smoking. Same addiction, same spirit of bondage. And if you don't get delivered of it, it comes back on you way worse. Same demon. You, you can't transfer to something that the church sees as less harmful to be accepted. You've got to dig up that stinking root and kill it. My pastor helped me dig up the root of bitterness against my mom and against my dad for not protecting me from her. When I went to Shabar, Teresa Lipshire helped me dig up the root that caused PTSD in me. We just didn't deal with the fruit of flashbacks. And bad dreams. We dug up the root and about the third thing she says, you're well. But we had to go to the root. Because the fruit's coming back if the root's not dead. I'm telling you, this is just a deeper aspect of these scriptures. I covered so much ground Sunday night I couldn't get in and, and, and show these aspects. But here we are tonight. And we're going to close this thing out. But we're going to have our elders up here to pray for you if you want want prayer. If you don't want prayer, go out and fellowship in the fellowship hall. But if you do want prayer, you don't have to leave. we got elders here. They're not going to tell anybody you junk. If you tell them, they're going to keep it to themselves. If you want to come to this altar and get down on your face just between you and God, if you're not ready to tell a a stranger about your stuff or or somebody you don't trust, or I mean, anybody in here, any leaders, y'all's leaders, our leaders, if if you elders... Don't feel like uh, uh, you can come up here and help somebody else when you need help. You let, you let me know. I'm not going to tell anybody. And, and, and let's get this thing done. Give me two young backs, okay? I hope that blessed y'all. I worked hard on it and prayed long on it. It's probably not a revelation to y'all. But I believe, I believe the thing about the guy being an elder and the thing about the way leaven starts and the way uh, faith starts small and becomes all-encompassing, I believe that means a lot. Amen. Especially that faith will take over and, and, and take over leaven and eradicate it. We, we need to really believe that. Amen? All right. And I, I believe we need to look at who we are in Christ and make sure 
that we hadn't perverted the gospel or have some kind of man-made thing going on. I believe that's very important. That's 11 that's in the body of Christ right now. There's a hyper-grace movement out there that's of the devil. It is of the devil. It's, you remember what the Bible says in, Nick, in uh, Revelations 2 and 3 when he starts talking about the Nicolaitans? He says, but you have one thing going for you. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and so do I. Who are the Nicolaitans? You have to look at history. Nicholas of Purcurus was one of the original deacons. He started pimping his wife out and using grace to get away with it. It's great. It's hyper-grace. Things have been around a long time. Yeah. Wow. And so, so you, you, need to, you need to check yourself, your own heart. Have I perverted the gospel and prevented faith from being bigger than leaven and taking me over? It's a simple question. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for hungry hearts drawing it out. We thank you for the, the, the dividing of the word, the rightly dividing of the word, bringing clarification. Lord, we thank you for the speaking of the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the words we got tonight, all of them. Let us be balanced tonight. Let us start to believe God again. Let us start to walk by faith and not by sight again. Let us blow that leaven out of us with a, with a dose of faith again. Raise us up, Lord. Let us not judge you by how difficult it is for us on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.